and that does explain why Jesus came. He didn't come just to uh, hang out here on this earth and uh, just be a good example for us. He came to be our substitute sacrifice on the cross of Calvary so that our uh, penalty could be, uh, and, our, and our punishment could be paid on the cross. That's why he came. And uh, praise the Lord, he didn't stay dead, though. Three days later, he rose again. And uh, we need to remember that uh, that's why he came. Well, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be again uh, tonight. Luke chapter number 1. We were in Luke chapter 1 this morning. We'll be there again today, uh, this evening. So we started our series uh, this morning, Fear Not, uh, looking at all the instances in the Christmas story where the message was given to an individual or individuals, uh, a group of individuals, to fear not. And uh, very appropriate as we go through this uh, season of a lot of crazy things going on around us that do have the potential to cause fear in our hearts and lives. Um, And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through verse 33 to start with. And uh, we'll look at uh, several others as we go through uh, this message. And if you're able to, uh, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together out of respect and reverence for the Holy Word of God. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the Word of God says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, her, Fear not, Mary, For thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious passage of scripture that we're all very familiar with. Uh, But tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to look at it uh, with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, not just be good hearers of your word, but uh, to be good doers of what we hear. Help us, Lord, to apply these truths to our lives as we go our way tonight. Uh, And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Fear Not Mary is the uh, message title uh, this evening. I read a story about a Sunday school teacher who had just finished telling her class the Christmas story. After telling the story, the teacher asked the question, Who do you think the most important woman in the Bible is? Well, of course, the teacher was expecting one of the kids to say Mary, but instead, one little boy raised his hand and said Eve. So the teacher asked him why he thought Eve was the most important woman in the Bible. The little boy replied, well, they named two days of the year after Eve, you know, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. 
well, uh, that is true. <laughs> but uh, Mary is indeed one of the most important women in the Bible because she was the special one chosen to give birth to the Messiah, to the Son of God. What a tremendous privilege. But as she is chosen, she experienced some type of fear. In uh, verse number uh, 29, the Bible says, When she saw him, the angel, she was again troubled. Uh, we learned that, uh, we saw that in the life of Zacharias this morning, how he was troubled as well. And uh, verse number 30, evidently it was obvious and it was written all over her face that she was scared and that she was afraid. And so the angel said unto her, fear not Mary. And so tonight I want to take this service and look at the second instance when the message fear not comes forth in this Christmas story. And so let's go down through this outline here, and then we'll cover some, uh, some lessons that we can take home with us as we go our way. First of all, I want us to look this evening at the message of the angel, the message of the angel. And as, the mes- as this angel appears to, uh, to Mary, uh, by the way, uh, she was in that city called Nazareth. And if you were here on Wednesday night, you might remember that I mentioned that Nazareth was not a place that typically you would think that uh, good things would come out of. In fact, it was Nathaniel who later in the book of John said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was an unlikely place, and, uh, and Mary was not expecting at all uh, to be uh, called upon to be the one who would carry and bring forth the Son of God. And yet the message of the angel was this. First of all, we see the message was that Mary was blessed and favored. In verse 28, uh, he says, the first thing he says to Mary, he says, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So he mentions that Mary was blessed and favored in verse 28. And he repeats it uh, a little bit here in verse number 30. When he says, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. So Mary was blessed and favored. And by the way, I'd just like to do a quick little time out in this message and say this. Notice the angel did not say that she was sinless. Uh, Our Catholic friends uh, believe that Mary was was sinless. And and as a result, there's a lot of things that there are a lot of doctrines regarding uh, Mary that uh, are false. Uh, they, uh, they believe that you should pray to Mary. The Catholic Church teaches its members to pray to Mary. The Hail Mary prayer, by the way, first appeared in print in uh, A.D. 1495. So uh, for the longest time, it wasn't a thing, and it wasn't in print, but then uh, within the last, uh, well, almost 500 years plus, uh, it was finally put into print. Now, praying to Mary is not compatible with Bible doctrine. As Jesus instructs us to pray in his name, not in Mary's name. Uh, The Bible says in John 14, he says, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. And uh, Paul said in, to, in, Timothy, in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, not the Virgin Mary, No, it is uh, the man, Christ Jesus. 
Uh, the Catholic Church also believes in the perpetual virginity of Mary. They believe that uh, she, was, she only gave birth to one child, but uh, the Bible is very clear in that regard. Uh, in Matthew 13, verse 55, where it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And so uh, it's not just his brothers in Christ. No, uh, they were uh, also his f- blood brothers that uh, Mary gave, gave birth to. So uh, this idea of the perpetual virginity of Mary is uh, a fallacy. Um, the virgin conceived, this is from the Catholic responsive litur- lit- liturgy for the feast of the Lord's presentation. It said this, the virgin conceived and gave birth to a son, yet she remained a virgin forever. That's what the Catholic doctrine and Catholic church teaches. And yet that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Uh, another, th- another fallacy about Mary is that she is co-redeemer. The Catholic church also teaches that Mary is necessary as an intercessor to obtain salvation. However, obviously, this is heresy that is blasphemous to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Remember, it was Jesus who said uh, in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, Nowhere do we find the Virgin Mary as a gateway into heaven a gateway into a relationship with God. Now, she was necessary for this process of salvation to take place uh, as far as uh, having Jesus here, but she's not necessary for you and I to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted just to mention that uh, as we look at the message of the angel, Mary was blessed and favored, but nowhere does it say that she was sinless and that she was a co-redeemer or any of that nature. But there is uh, something, she was set apart for something special. And uh, to be chosen to be the mother of the Son of God was a very precious and wonderful privilege that she was given. And so the angel comes and says, hey, you're blessed and you're favored. But, but that wasn't the only message that he had for her. Gabriel also said that Mary would bring forth the Son of God, would bring forth the Son of God. Look in verse 31, the Bible says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, he shall be, uh, and shall call his name Jesus, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then in verse 35, uh, the Holy Ghost uh, shall come upon thee, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So that was the great message of the angel that he had for Mary. And that was a, I, I don't know how comforting that was when he said, fear not. And then he gives this message that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Uh, But uh, it was a special privilege that I'm sure caused her heart to rejoice. So we see, first of all, the message of the angel. But then I want us to see, secondly, the miracle of the conception. Uh, Mary, after she gets this news in verse 34, asks a very pertinent question and and one that uh, I think she needed to ask. And I'm glad she did because it gives us uh, how this happened. 
Uh, verse 34, she said unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? See, she was a virgin, and, and uh, she said, Joseph and I aren't married yet. We've not come together. And uh, how can this be? How can I give birth without a man? I mean, it's necessary for a man to, uh, and, and a woman to come together. But uh, in verse 35, he gives us the, uh, the answer. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So a couple thoughts here about the miracle of the conception. How, how would this miracle take place? Well, first of all, it took place because of Mary's purity. It would have never happened if Mary would uh, uh, not have been pure. If she and Joseph, you know, being an engaged couple, you know, in love with each other, and, uh, in, you know, that, that probably times of temptation came along, and, and uh, had they given in to that temptation, Mary would have been overlooked. She would not have been chosen for this particular uh, special privilege to be uh, Jesus' mother, because Mary's purity was absolutely required. Uh, it, this woman had to be a virgin, and we, we, we learn this as we go through the Old Testament. At, very, at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God says to the serpent, he said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So the very first uh, clue that we have in Scripture that, that uh, the mother of the Messiah, the one who would redeem us, the one who would pay the ultimate price for our sin, would be born of a virgin. This was the first clue in Scripture, Genesis 3.15, when it references her seed. Because typically it's the man's seed that gets passed down. And, uh, but in this case, uh, because it was a virgin birth, it was her seed. Isaiah clarifies this prophecy in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 where he says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So it had to be a virgin. Uh, that mother had to be pure. Now I want to just uh, mention something to the young people of Cornerstone Baptist Church. Look, God didn't just desire uh, one woman in Nazareth to be pure. God still desires that his people would live in purity, yes, even in this age, yes, in 2020 and beyond. God never changes, and, and his word still says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. God's word still teaches that we need to live pure lives. Uh, the Bible still says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Look, friend, God still desires that all of the young people here at Cornerstone Baptist Church would one day stand at their wedding altar as pure virgins. God still wants that and desires that in our lives. I wanted to share some statistics with you about abstinence, about those who decide to stay pure. Okay, so here it is. Out of 100 young people who remain pure virgins, 
here's the statistics. And you can look them up on your own if you want, and, and uh, I can give you the sources on this. But here it is. Out of 100 young people who remain pure, there are zero unwanted pregnancies. Out of 100 young people who remain pure, there are zero sexually transmitted diseases that get spread. Out of 100 young people who decide to remain pure, there are zero regrets and zero guilt. Those are the stats. Those are the numbers. And numbers don't lie, right? Okay, so if you want to avoid unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, a regret, a guilt, and heartache, and drama, and you want, to re- you want to avoid all that, decide to stay pure and follow God's plan. God still wants young people to live pure in this day. The miracle of the conception, it wouldn't have happened. This miracle wouldn't have happened in Mary's life if they decided to, well, we're going to get married anyway. And we really love each other. You know, one time won't hurt. It would have disqualified her from being part of one of the most special miracles in all of the Bible. But because she decided to stay pure, she got to be part of this. But it wasn't just because of Mary's purity. We also see because of God's power. God's power. Verse 35, again, the angel gives us uh, what, what happened here exactly. And I don't know, I don't understand all the implications of this, all the ins and outs of this. But this is what the Bible says, and, and that's, that's enough for me. But the angel said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I just want to kind of take a little time out, and this is a little theological side uh, rabbit trail here. But in verse 35, do you see the Trinity represented in verse 35? Do you see all three persons of the Godhead in verse 35? In verse 35, it, it says the Holy Ghost. So that's God, the Holy Ghost. And then it says the power of the highest. Uh, this is a reference to God the Father. And then we see at the end of the verse, the Son of God. So we see all three members of the Trinity mentioned in verse number 35. And uh, this was something that all three, I mean, this was such a big deal that all three members of the Trinity uh, worked together uh, to make this possible. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest, God the Father was overseeing all of this. And then, of course, that holy thing, which is a reference to the Son of God, and uh, indicating that that, that, that uh, Son of God would end up growing up and being a sinless individual, and He would never sin, be perfect and sinless. And by the way, as we look at God's power, well, let's keep reading here in verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So he, the angel kind of refers back to what happened to Zacharias and Elizabeth and said, hey, if God can do that, God can do anything. And then he says in verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Like Mary, don't worry about it. It's going to be a miracle. God's going to perform it. And, and we know that God is still in the miracle working business. Jeremiah 32 and verse 27 
Uh, here the Lord says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And this, was a, this is an addition to the other verses I mentioned this morning. Look, there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. He can do that. And the miracle of the conception took place, yes, because of Mary's purity, but most of all because of God's power. Uh, this was something, this was the only uh, conception in history that did not require a man and a woman. I realize that there's other things that, uh, you know, science has come up with and all that, but it still requires a man and it still requires a woman. And uh, it, except for this one, because God was involved and it was a miracle. But then we see number three here, the meekness of Mary. The meekness of Mary. You know, as Gabriel announces to Mary that she's the chosen one to become the mother of the Messiah, you can only imagine Mary thinking about the plans that she had for her life. Imagine she wanted to live the Israelite dream, to get married, to have children, to have, you know, a normal life, and just to, you know, kind of hang out in Nazareth and, 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 and not really, you know, no huge goals, just wanted to, you know, live a normal life. Well, that was all about to completely change overnight. What was Mary's response? And I, I bet she threw a fit. She whined, she griped, she complained. No, no, that's not, that's not how she responded. That's sometimes, though, how we respond when God changes our plans, though, right? And uh, if there's ever been a year where God has changed plans that we all had, it was 2020. I've looked at our uh, church calendar a few times this year, and it just didn't really happen the way that I had planned. And uh, God changed all of that. Do I whine about it? Do I gripe about it? Do I complain about it? Well, let's find out how Mary reacted to this life-altering news. Let's look in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So as we see how she responded to this, we see her meekness. And we see this in the fact that she displayed a humble spirit. She first of all said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. The word handmaid is, means female slave. So what she was saying to the Lord is, Hey, look, I'm your servant, Lord. I, I'm nobody and you know, I don't need my plans to happen. I'm willing to let your plans be my plans. And I'm just simply your servant. I'm just simply your handmaid. Um, I... I I don't need to have anything go the way that I want to go. And so there was a spirit of humility in her heart. But there was also, she also displayed a submissive spirit. When she said in verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She said, hey, whatever your word says, I'm willing to do it. Whatever your plans are, Lord, I'm willing to forgo my plans and accept yours for my life. And, and by the way, this literally changed the rest of her life. Her life was never the same after this moment. Never the same. I mean, there, talk about a new normal <laughs> that we've all learned to uh, try to deal with here in 2020. And there was a new normal for Mary, and it never went back to the old normal. 
And Mary was okay with that. Mary accepted that. And she was willing to submit to the will of God for her life. She, she learned how to submit to God, and then uh, she got it. And she got it good because later on, uh, she taught others to do the same. If you would, very quickly, turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We'll be right back in uh, Luke 1, so keep your finger there. But uh, John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And then his mother saith unto the servants, This is Mary. The one who, many years ago, said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Here's what she now says to, her, to the servants. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You see, she got the lesson. She learned the lesson of submission here. And now she's teaching others to do that. Hey, whatever he says to you, uh, unto you to do, uh, do it. And of course, this is the very first miracle that took place, the public, first public miracle that Jesus uh, performed. And uh, this was kind of setting in motion the ministry, the public ministry of Jesus Christ uh, here in John chapter 2. But Mary was, was part of it, and she understood this concept of submission, and so much so that she was willing to teach others to do that. So submissive, having a submissive spirit to the Lord is a very wonderful thing. And you will never regret being submissive to the Lord, to His will. So she displayed a humble spirit and a submissive spirit. Um, we'll, again, be back in Luke 1, but can you turn over with me to James chapter number 4? I want to show you the connection between these two. James chapter 4. And look at verse number 6. James 4, in verse number 6, it says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So we see the importance of humility. But then the very next verse, the very next word in the next verse says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So we see the importance of both, having both humility and submission. And Mary displayed both in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. There was a tremendous example for us as God comes to us perhaps and changes our plans. Do we have a proud spirit and say, I don't deserve for you to change my plans. I'm better than that. I know better than you, God. Uh, Sometimes that's how we think, and I'm in the same boat as well, but Mary didn't do that. When God radically and completely changed the course of her life, she displayed a humble spirit, and she displayed a submissive spirit. May the Lord help us to do the same as well. Number four, a last thought here, and we'll wrap up this message, and that is the magnification of the Lord. Back in Luke chapter number one, uh, let's pick it up in verse number 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into a, the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, by the way, that little 
uh, bundle of cells isn't a person that was in Elizabeth's womb, right? Uh, well, this is showing here that, yes, that is a person. And he leaped in her womb. And, and later it says, uh, verse 44, that babe leaped in my womb for joy. John the Baptist there is a, in the second trimester uh, decided to not just kick, but jump. I mean, I've heard, I've, I felt my, my wife's like, oh, he's kicking right now. Come feel. And I always kind of got kind of like a little creeped out about that. I know some guys are like all into it. I kind of got creeped out about it. Like, I don't really want to feel that. I did to be nice and to support of husband and all that, but it wasn't like my favorite thing to, you know, put my hand on that when they're kicking and, and then they would like, you know, you could tell it's probably an elbow or something. And, and I'm like, okay, two minutes for elbowing, you know, uh, you need to put in penalty box you know? <laughs> and let's just stop, you know, I don't really want to feel it. Uh, anyway, this, this babe wasn't just kicking this little baby in the second trimester jumped and in uh, Elizabeth, you can just imagine her going, what was that? I mean, I felt kicks before, but this was, I mean, he literally did like a, you know, a flip and a, you know, triple axle in me, you know. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what happened here? And uh, because of what the, the message was here. Uh, verse 42, she spake out with a loud voice. Elizabeth wasn't all this meek and quiet and, you know, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. No, she was excited. She said, oh, blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I mean, you're giving birth to the Son of God. How, how wonderful, what a blessing. And verse 43, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, like, I'm not worthy to have you here. I mean, you're the mother of my Lord. For as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then here we come to the magnification of the Lord in verses 46 all the way down through uh, verse number uh, 55. Now remember, magnifying the Lord is our church theme for 2020. Uh, we're to exalt him and to make him appear bigger to those around us. Now, God, God doesn't change his size. Uh, he is big, and he's bigger than you and I can imagine. Uh, he is the same, but you and I can make him appear bigger by uh, living our lives in a way that brings glory to God. And uh, John the Baptist who was this little baby, little baby here that was jumping for joy in the womb of Elizabeth, he went on to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's a great way for us to magnify the Lord is to uh, allow him to increase in our life, but us to decrease. Now, it's great that when Mary's plans were disrupted, instead of choosing to worry about them, she chose to worship. Instead of murmuring, she chose to magnify and when God's, uh, comes in, God comes into our life and disrupts our plan, instead of worrying about it and fretting about it, let's choose to worship. Instead of murmuring about it, let's choose to magnify like Mary did. Now, as she gets ready to uh, go into her uh, prayer and song of, of joy and a magnification here, 
this is actually a reference back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 when Hannah uh, prayed and, and blessed the Lord after God gave her a son, excuse me, gave her a son named uh, Samuel. And uh, this is a reference. And so Mary actually had this passage of Scripture committed to her memory. And uh, that's something worth noting, that uh, she had memorized Scripture, that Scripture was part of who she was. She was a spiritual uh, young lady. And uh, she begins to quote that here, and she magnifies several uh, aspects of the Lord. She, first of all, magnifies the Lord's salvation. In verses 46 through 48, she said, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And so she refers to Jesus as her Lord in verse 46 and Jesus as her Savior in verse 47. See, Mary knew she needed a Savior uh, she knew that she was a sinner just like all of us, and she also needed to come uh, to Jesus as her Savior. So she magnified the Lord's salvation, then she magnified the Lord's character in verses 49 through 53. 49 says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. That's a reference to God's power. He that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. That's a reference to his holiness. Verse 50 says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. She magnifies his character, and part of his character is also his mercy. Uh, verse 51, He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. So she magnified the Lord's salvation. She magnified the Lord's character. She also magnified the Lord's works. And verse 51 says, He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats, exalted them of low degree. So she went back and what, and what God had already done, and she was magnifying what the Lord has already done. And it's good for us to remember what God has done in our lives, to count our blessings and name them one by one. Yes, even in December and January and February and every other month, including November. But uh, she magnified the Lord's works, and then finally she magnified the Lord's faithfulness in verse uh, 53. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich hath he sent away empty. In other words, he has taken care of those who are hungry. He has provided. He has met the needs Verse 54, he hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And so she remembers and magnifies the Lord's faithfulness. And the Lord has promised in our lives in the New Testament era that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he will always be faithful to his word. And it's worth magnifying all of that. And so it is interesting as she... Uh, understands what's happening in her life, that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, her response wasn't, oh, man, like this is going to mess everything up. Everybody's going to be talking about us because, well, jo they're going to think Joseph or they're going to think someone else came in. I mean, it, it's, this is going to be a terrible situation. Instead of having that focus, she began to magnify the Lord. 
And when things come into our lives that are maybe, in our minds, less than, our, less than ideal, what's our response? Oh, this is going to be terrible. I mean, this, that, this is going to happen, and probably this is going to happen, and oh, I just can't believe this. Why don't we respond like Mary did and decide that we're going to magnify God during this? I know it's different. I know it's not what we expected, but let's decide that we're going to magnify the Lord. Let's, and we still have a couple weeks left in this, in this year, and our church theme is still magnify the Lord. It's still 2020. We can still magnify the Lord, and we still should. All right. So what lessons should we learn from this second instance of fear not in the Christmas story? Well, first of all, again, when something unexpected comes into our lives, and we know it's from the Lord, don't fight against it. Don't get scared. Don't freak out. Don't become bitter. But instead, embrace it as the will of God like Mary did. Be it unto me according to thy word. Like, Lord, you're in charge. You're God, not me. And if, and if me not having this job anymore is part of your will, I'm okay with that. If, if us moving, which I don't want anyone in here to move. You're not allowed to move. Okay? But... If someone from another church is called to move, uh, then, you know, hey, it's the will of God. Stop fighting it. Stop being, and maybe something, some health issue comes into your life. Don't think, well, I don't deserve this. It's a privilege to suffer for the Lord's sake. And uh, don't, don't become bitter. Embrace it as the will of God and decide that you're going to magnify the Lord in that situation. Another lesson that I want to point out, and that is this. God still blesses purity. And we need to still live a pure life before God and others here in 2020 and beyond. God still wants us to live in purity, and he still values it. Remember, we're to be holy even as he is holy. Another lesson is this. God is still in the miracle-working business. He may not, he's not going to do the same miracle that he did back in Luke chapter 1 with Mary. He doesn't need to do that again. He already did it once. He doesn't need to do that one again. But, but God still is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And, he, and we can still trust him. And also, when God changes our plans, instead of worrying, do what Mary did in worship. And then finally, and uh, we mentioned this this morning, but uh, to receive the main message of Christmas. Yeah, one of the messages is to fear not, and I do want to convey that message as we go through this series, but the main message of Christmas is the fact that God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, God wanted us to be part of his family, so much so that he sent his only begotten son to this earth so that we could be saved. In the song we sang before the message, he was born to die. Uh, he, 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 and we see this in the gifts that he received from the wise men, uh, myrrh and frankincense. Uh, were, uh, myrrh especially was an embalming uh, type of a perfume and anointment. And that was an indication that one day later on in his life, or actually at the end of his life, he would, uh, at the end of his life, he'd be offered some myrrh uh, there while he was on the cross. And then he was also, that was used to bury him. So he was born to die. 
so that you and I could live. And praise the Lord for that. And if you're here this evening and you've never received the main message of Christmas, it's not that uh, we're to just have a wonderful time as families, which I'm thankful for that. That's not the main message of Christmas. The main message of Christmas is that uh, Jesus came to be uh, God with us so that one day you and I could be not only God with us, but God in us through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. That's the main message of Christmas. If you've never received that, I would encourage you to receive that tonight. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for allowing us to look into your word tonight and look at the second instance.